our table. I want to uh, sow a seed. Since we're talking about seed sowing, I'm going to sow a seed. I want to give this to somebody here tonight that's going to make a difference. Uh, detox your life. A lot of times uh, we talk about fasting just from a spiritual perspective, but you dive into fasting and then you don't really know what you're doing, and then you break your fast on pizza, and, and then you say, well, you know what? Fasting just doesn't work too good for me. You know, it messed up my metabolism. I had one lady with bitterness, you know, fasting messed up my metabolism. You know, that's, my life's never been the same since I went on that fast. And I, and, I, and I really felt bad for her because the Bible didn't say if you fast. It said when you fast. Jesus intends it to be a part of our lifestyle. And, and because we don't really have a knowledge of it, uh, we don't really know how to do it the right way. So we make a lot of mistakes. And, and eventually we just, it's just easier to eat the pizza, you know. So, but this... Let me explain how this is going to help you. There's two DVDs here. I took Dr. Smucker uh, to, his, to his hospital. Uh, I have a doctor in the family. And I said, I want you to talk to me about what happens in the fasting process. We went to the hospital. We put his stethoscope around his shoulders. We sat by all his medical books. It was a beautiful set. And then we shot uh, questions. I just gave him questions and answers. And for 30 minutes, he gave me questions and answers about how fasting works and how it affects your body. It's amazing material. It will really help you be prepared from a medical perspective. And even if you're uh, dealing with different kinds of medicines, he talks about how to deal with that and still be able to fast. Then there's a, a second DVD in there, which is which I, I take the practical aspects. I literally go into a kitchen, stand in front of a refrigerator, and I talk about fasting. Because that's where the battle is. It's in the kitchen. It's not behind a pulpit somewhere in a church environment. But when you start fasting, it's what happens when you wake up the next morning after you started the fast. And so I talk about how to prepare yourself, and I use uh, several scriptures and, and uh, really posture you in that way where it's going to help you to really uh, be, be prepared. This is something that you can put in your library, and you pull it out at the beginning of the year when you do those start the year fasts and all that stuff. You'll already have it there for you. So whoever wants this and is ready to detox your life, run up here. Get it. You've got to come up and get it. Okay, God bless you. Woo! Praise God. We have more prayer for healing now, okay? You see, it pays to sit up on the front row. <laughs> if you understand what the reason why we created Triumph Ministries is because we want to create resources that are going to help the church to go to the next level, to aid leadership and to help saints find their gift and uh, create resources that will help us to reach the world. If you'll open up uh, your Bibles tonight, give honor to all the ministry that's here, uh, to the pastors that are here. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And all the saints of God, amen. Second Samuel chapter number 21. We are going to uh, now, now step into the next wave of, of, of revelation. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And Ishbi Benob, what a name, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. This is somewhere between... 12 and 20 pounds was the head of his spear. Imagine how big that spear was. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Everyone say, Quench not the light. And it came to pass after this that there was yet, a, yet there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sabachai the Hushite <laughs> slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there again was a battle in Gob with the Philistines. And there Elhanan, the son of Jerarragim, how about that? A Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, and there was a man of great stature who had in every hand six fingers, and every foot six toes. All the ladies say, ew. Four and twenty in number. 
And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Amen. I'm simply talking to you tonight about Generation Giant Killer. Would you lift your hands and would you lift your voice and would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for what's already been done here tonight, for the faith that has already been released. But now we ask you, God, to take it a step further and bring a transformation to our minds and our spirit and cause us, O God, to be activated on every level. Every dormant part of us, O God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would activate every part of our of our being, Lord Jesus, that you have placed gifts in. Let those gifts come to fruition. And I'm asking you, God, that this church would have a corporate comprehension of your perfect will tonight like never before. Everyone say, in Jesus' name. Say it one more time. In Jesus' name. Turn around to three people and say, let's go kill a giant. And you may be seated. I think we need to clap one more time to the Lord and give Him praise for what we feel in this house tonight. There's an energy and a faith. There's a spirit of victory in the house tonight. And I'm going to celebrate it. David was an extraordinary man. By any standard, by any measure, he was at a, as a, at a young age a man that saw things from a different perspective. And God just put His hand upon him. God knew him before anybody else knew him. When he was just following behind the used great with, with young, instead of just doing like other shepherds did, he followed them around waiting for them to give birth so he could be there to help them. How humane and sensitive, how compassionate. God said, you know what, I like a man that when nobody else is watching still cares. And the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. He called him, according to the Psalms, when he was following the ewes great with young. And so there was something about his character that was fostered at a very young age. And it caused him later to say, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Because of his experience in his youth, it tapped him into the mind of the Spirit and he brought application of the Word of God into everyday life and experience. And so there were so many things that were brought into the equation when he became the king over all Israel. But still, even though he had killed a giant, and even though he had rallied all of Israel to, to chase after the Philistines, there was this idea about David that he was the exception, not the rule. What David thought of himself was, I am just a covenant son doing what every covenant son should do. I think like covenant sons are supposed to think. When he stepped out and saw Goliath, he said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He did not call him a giant. He refused to acknowledge how big he was how long he had been there, or any reason why he might be afraid of him. Instead, he said he is outside of the covenant. He is not circumcised. When he addressed the giant, he didn't say, I'm fighting against you and I'm going to use all my skill to beat you. He said, you have defied the armies of the living God. And he said, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I'm coming against you in the name name of the Lord. 
He understood where his strength came from. He understood where the power was. It was in covenant relationship. The reality was everybody in Israel was in covenant relationship with God. But they just weren't acting like it. It took David to come along and say, Folks, you need to start acting on the level of your privilege. You need to start walking according to the full potential of what God has made available to you because of who you are as His sons and daughters. And I want to speak to you tonight. God does not want it to be so extraordinary that people kill giants. He wants it to be an entire generation that is raised up that says, if they are not in covenant and they attack us, they're going down. Any kind of enemy that stands in the way of the kingdom is going to be brought down and it's going to be destroyed. I could kill them or you could kill them or Junior over here could kill them or a new convert could kill them. Anybody could do it. All you have to be is in the covenant and know who you are in God. But you see, in Saul's, Saul's kingdom, Saul, Saul was about amassing power to himself because he was insecure. And because he was so insecure and he was fearful, he had to be in control. And because he had to be in control, he couldn't allow anybody else to do anything. And so he micromanaged the whole process. Even when Jonathan, his crown prince, the son that he loved, who was so loyal to him and helped him in so many ways, even when Jonathan was on good terms with David, Saul even tried to kill his own son. We talk about him trying to kill David. He threw a javelin at Jonathan at one point. Because anything he couldn't control, he's going to try to kill. So this is the kind of mentality that was fostered in the leadership mentality around the palace and around the throne. And everybody had to placate the king. They had to constantly prop him up. They had to constantly tell him how great he was. They had to always uh, follow along blindly at whatever word that he said, whatever vendetta that he had on his agenda for this particular day. When he's chasing after David, they don't get to ask any questions. Why are we chasing after David? Why aren't we fighting against the Philistines? Or why aren't we fighting against someone else? It's, it's he's my enemy and we're going to kill him. Yes, sir. Anybody else that might have helped him, including priests, got killed by Saul. And so there was this kind of feeling and, and mentality that it was all about the king. Even in the beginning of his reign, when, when Saul uh, was being avenged of his adversaries by Jonathan's prowess and his spiritual gifting and bringing his servant with him, and, and they, with one sword, take 20 men out in the high place, and God sends an earthquake and discomforts their enemy, Saul still says, nobody gets to eat until I'm avenged of my enemies. He didn't say it was Israel's enemies. It was his enemies. And it's what I think about it. It's how I feel about it. And nobody else gets to rejoice until I say we get to rejoice. And he killed the whole battle. And Jonathan later came back and said, We could have won a whole lot more, Dad, if you'd have let us eat. But no honey for anybody. Not, not even if it's dropping on the ground as they're passing by. And so when you have mentalities like this, and these are a few examples, of, you have this kind of prevailing in the kingdom. It kind of snuffs out any creativity because the only people that were creative were the ones that were being hunted. The innovators were the ones that were on the bad list. The people that actually had thoughts about things and opinions about things were always getting in trouble. And so if you want to have any position, if you want to get anywhere, you have to turn off the thinker. You have to stop having an opinion. And you certainly can't have any gifts. And so it was, a, it was a constantly pressing down and pushing down and oppressing of the people as a result of Saul. And so through these decades of, of Saul being king, it kind of puts something into their DNA, as it were. It puts something into their generation that limited them in so many ways. 
And as we talked about last night, there was an undercurrent from the atrocities of Saul that was still affecting the kingdom way into David's reign, several decades into David's reign, towards the end of his reign. He has finally given permission to address this and put it all to rest. And they bury the bones of Saul and Jonathan. And there's a collective sigh in all of Israel. What they don't realize is that when they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, something unlocked inside of them. Something happened in their mind. They got permission to receive an impartation. They got permission to totally embrace what David was and who David was. Even though he was their king, he was having to carry this mentality. He was having to be the embodiment of this mentality. To the men of Israel, he was the candle. He was the one that had the gift. He was the one that had the perspective. He was the one that had the anointing. And they watched him and they followed him. But there was something that God was wanting to do. He didn't want them just to say, look at how great David is. What, they, what he was wanting them to see is that if David can do it, you can do it. That David was able to flourish even in the shadow of Saul. And what God was saying is that shadow is now removed. I want you to embrace that light that is inside of David. And I'm giving you permission to think like David thinks. To operate and function like he functions. To pick up his spirit. And for the first time, it wasn't just David, the young man who killed the giant. For the first time, it was, you know what, Mr. King? I thank you for coming out and fighting today, but I got this one. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to have an opportunity to kill a giant. Now they are volunteering and they're fighting over who gets to kill the next giant. And what I'm telling you that God is, is doing is He's changing a generational mindset. He's wanting to change our view of ourselves, our corporate identity. And He wants to take away that, that program running in the back of our mind, in the subconscious, every time we step out to do something. Oh, did I, did I offend somebody? Oh, oh, oh I, I hope I didn't make anybody feel bad by doing that. Oh, I, uh, God just used me. Oh, but was I proud? Was I arrogant? Oh, I'm sorry. And we apologize all over ourselves for every time God uses us as if that was a bad thing. You know why? Because we had a generational mindset that said, well, you, you better be careful. You better not step out and be used of God. Every time you get used, the devil will be there to knock you down. Can't talk about your blessings because if you talk about your blessings, then sure's the world. The devil will be on your doorstep tomorrow to take that blessing away from you. Better not enjoy yourself too much out there in the spirit because you're just attracting all kinds of attention. And so... Uh, the answer to that, I guess, is to just sit down and do nothing and just stare off at the ceiling and say, yes, sir. When I was growing up, when I wanted to be used of God, I, just, I was just crazy enough to believe that God could use me. I got, I, got, I got the Holy Ghost when I was five. And my dad wanted to make sure I really had it, so he made me wait a year before I got baptized. That's how it was in those days. <laughs> I got baptized when I was six. And then when I got baptized at six, that was another experience. And, and for me, it was, actually, it was actually a good experience to, to separate them because I, I realized how important baptism was. Because it was just as powerful getting baptized as it was for me to get the Holy Ghost. I felt the difference between the two. And then at age eight, God visited me and, and, and in my room and I, had a, uh, I got lost in the Spirit for two or three hours and I had a visitation from God and something changed in my life after that. 
I can't explain it. I just thought it was maturity in, the, in Christianity. I just thought everybody had this. I started knowing things about people. I started having prophetic dreams. My grandmother who lived right here in Bloomington, uh, she fell on the driveway one, one uh, year during the winter time and broke her arm. And we went to visit her and her arm was in a cast. And she asked my dad to pray for her. And my dad, you know, did the obligatory prayer. It's kind of hard to pray for mom sometimes. Oh, Jesus, touch her arm. Thank you, Lord. And I, I got up there. I said, Grandma, can I pray for you? And I felt faith come in my heart. I sat up on, on her lap, put my hands on that cast. She went to the doctor and they said, this arm isn't broken anymore. She doesn't need this cast. And they cut the cast off. I was eight years old. You know what? Nobody told me it wasn't supposed to happen. Nobody said it's not supposed to happen. I was raised that Jesus can do anything. I was taught in Sunday school that there's nothing impossible with God. Well, of course, Grandma's going to get healed. Isn't this the way it's supposed to be? Isn't this how it's supposed to happen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then I remember, you know, I started preaching. Uh, I went to youth camp uh, when I was, or junior camp when I was 11, and that's when God confirmed my call to preach. And he showed me a vision of me preaching for all these people, all these people getting healed. I literally thought that after that I would have to get my own bus. I wouldn't have a, you know, I'd have to have teachers that would travel with me. And I wouldn't have to go to school anymore, you know, that immediately people would start calling me. And I would go out and I would start preaching. I, I mean, I was ready to go. I constantly would ask the teachers, why do I need to know this? I'm going to be a preacher. Why do I need to know algebra? I mean, I'm going to be a preacher, not a chemist. I would always say that. You know, my dad would always tell me, you need to know this stuff. There's lots of reasons why. Math helps you solve problems in your head. You need to know how to solve problems without paper. Solve it in your head. Okay, okay, all right. What? If you say so, Dad, I'll, 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 I'll do that. Geometry, incidentally, helped me a lot in the study of the Scriptures, but uh, that's another subject. But growing up, you know, th this, is, this is what I had. But there was a lot of people around me that really didn't believe that young people could be used of God. I mean, uh, at 12 years old, I gave my first little mini-sermon. It was like five minutes, you know. And, uh, and then I taught one time in chapel, and, and it was like two more years before, before I got to speak again. It was back in those days when, you know, Jesus is coming at any moment. And I thought, God, if you've called me to preach and I'm going to reach the world, i got a short time, and I'm pretty young, and, you know, we got to get on with it here, you know. And two years passed, I finally go to my dad when I'm 14. Dad, I think, you know, Jesus is coming. We've got to do something. And, and what can I do? I've got, got to acknowledge my call to preach. He said, you can start in the Sunday school class. And so I started in the four- and five-year-olds. I started teaching the four- and five-year-olds. And I thought, well, man, this is, this is not thousands of people. You know, this is, this is four- and five-year-olds. <laughs> And I said, but you know what? I'm going to make it the best class they've ever had. So I dramatized the story. I came in as the leper, you know, had white spots all over my face, you know, came in, told them all about Jesus, turned my back and then rubbed the, you know, the lotion in. So they, and then I would say, see, I'm healed, you know. And, and then there'd always be one little kid going, no, that's Jason. I know who you are, you know. I'm like, shh, you know, it was a good story, you know. That story's really in the Bible. I know I dramatize, but it's really in the Bible. When I was 15, I started teaching my own high school Sunday school class. And that's where I really started feeling the anointing of God touch my life. And, and by the age of 16, I started preaching. But there was a lot of times in, in those early years of, of preaching where, where we, would, we would hear sermons like this, sit there on the pew, don't want to do anything, lazy. And then you get up and say, okay, I'm ready to go. And then you stand up and say, who do you think you are? You don't know anything. You need to sit down and learn. And you sit down and learn. You don't have any, you don't have any drive at all, no passion at all, don't want to do anything for God. Just sit there on the pew. You stand up, sit down. Who do you think you are? And then you'd have all the really well-meaning people come alongside of you and say, Someday God's going to use you. When is someday? How old do I have to be? 
And I had to do something in spite of what people said. I had to go to the Bible and I had to find kings that were eight years old and they were reigning. And then I had to read about, about Solomon being king at 16. And I had to read about a little girl that witnessed to Naaman and, ta- and helped Naaman get healed of his leprosy. And I started finding young people all over the Bible that were used by God. And I realized, you know what? If the Bible says I can, I can! The culture may not. The people in the church may not have that. But you know what? If God says, I can, I can. And what God is wanting to do is give you permission where you don't have to fight against the tide. David spent a whole generation fighting against the tide saying, Oh, yes, I can do it. I can go down and kill that giant. And finally, a generation woke up and said, David, we can do it. We can kill that giant. We can take him out. I don't want it to be that you have to struggle to use your gift. It ought to be, when can I be used? How can I plug into God? Where can I be the most effective? And we have a whole department of the church that says, you can work here and here and here and here because God wants to use you in His kingdom. Religion takes power away from the people. But Christianity, true Christianity, gives power back. What Jesus did was give power to people. He empowered them. That's why the Sanhedrin hated Him. That's why the religious leaders of His day hated Him. He was not preaching in the synagogues. He was not having the majority of His messages in the temple. He was out on the hillsides. And he was keeping them captivated for days. Thousands and thousands of people sitting on hillsides. And when they didn't have anything to eat, he would just multiply the loaves and the fishes. How do you fight someone like that? They could barely get a handful of people to come and hear their little lectures on the Sabbath day. And yet Jesus has people leaving their jobs, leaving their whole lives to sit down and listen to Him talk for three or four hours. And then what happens? They walk away and they're changed. The Bible says they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There was the end result of being a disciple of Christ is that you walked like Him, you talked like Him, and you did works like He did works. You know why? He said, I'm with you, but I shall be in you. And then he told them, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. When this Holy Ghost came down from heaven, it was the power of God on display in the life of every believer. Insomuch that he could say, these signs shall follow them that believe. Lift your hands to the Lord and give Him praise right now. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, in the beginning part of my ministry, when I went full-time at 18, 19 years old, I would come out of days of prayer and study and fasting, and I'd come to a church, and I was, I was under the impression that I was there for revival. And so I assumed that everybody wanted revival. And I was shocked that there were some churches that had revival services but didn't really want revival because revival meant change. It meant that business as usual would not be business as usual. That there was going to be another level of accountability and and expectancy from them and that most of the time people did not feel like they could sustain that level of intensity. And so people live where they're comfortable and they don't particularly feel comfortable a lot of times in a revival atmosphere. It's too challenging. And I didn't understand this. It took a while for me to understand this and for me to come to this knowledge. But I came in 
just trying to demonstrate the Spirit of God and to prove to people that God was still healing the sick. He was still delivering. He, was, he still knew what was going on. And every gift of the Spirit that was in the New Testament was still functioning in the church today. And so I called a lot of people out. I told people a lot of things. I showed a lot of things in the Spirit that God was showing me. I would, t- I would talk about it a lot. And I would pray for a lot of people individually. And there would be lines of people that sometimes would line up. And there was reactions negatively sometimes and some that were uh, uh, positively too far. I had one lady one time that told me she was, when I walked by her, she put her hands over her ears and she just started going. And she said, you know why I did that? She came by later she said, in the restaurant. She said, you know why I did that? I said, why did you do that? She said, I was afraid you could read my thoughts. And I looked at her and I said, what makes you think I can't read them now? I said, by the way, if God knows something about you, whatever you, that's not going to stop God from exposing what's in your mind right now. And suddenly her face got all red. She said, I said, but you know what? It's just a word of knowledge. I only know a little bit. I don't know as much as you think I do. I said, but God is using this to get your attention, to make you aware of your own thoughts, so that if there's something there that doesn't need to be there, you'll bring it to Him and take care of it, and none of us need to know about all of that. There was a lot of things like this that happened. And a few years back, I talked to the Lord. I was asking the Lord. I said, you know, I don't do that anymore. Not nearly as much as I used to do that. I do it around the altars and at particular times I'll do that. Sometimes I sit in homes. A couple of weeks ago I was preaching in Pennsylvania camp and I saw a man walking towards me. And I mean it was so detailed the things that God showed me. Uh, it was actually uh, astounding to me. I, I began to tell him I was walking down the road, looked at a certain flower. I mean it was all kinds of things like this. That I, and he's just bawling and crying. But it took that for him. He needed somebody that, that could really get into his mind so that he could be released from the complicated struggle that was going on he needed somebody to help get in there and that's why god gave me permission but but as the as the as a whole i don't do that very much it's certainly not in a public setting i don't do it and i asked the lord i said god is there something different have i have i lost some intensity is there something wrong with me that i don't minister on that level like i used to before and god says no he said in the beginning they did not understand this they had never seen this before and so i used you to model it to some people people and to show it to some churches he said but now the people understand that and you don't have to do that anymore because i've been i'm now using the body to minister to the body and you don't have to do it individually because the church is coming to maturity where those gifts are working amongst themselves He said, I'm using you now just to change corporate mentalities so that the church can keep advancing and going forward. So this is what I'm dealing with tonight. I'm telling you that God is changing our corporate mentality so that we can believe for more than we have ever believed for before. Where we are no longer comfortable with how things used to be and we are now reset. That God has changed our default setting to be healthy healthy, to be spiritual, to live in abundance, and to function with every gift and calling that God has put into our lives. Stop and lift your hands to the Lord right now and give Him praise. Would you do it? There were men that, that tapped into David early on, and they stayed with him through his, through his kingdom. And they, they saw the different phases of his life and ministry. And, 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 they, and David learned his lesson. When he should have gone out to war, he didn't as a young man, and he made some critical mistakes. And now as an old man, or an older man, he decides that... He needs to go out and fight again. He needs to fight with the troops. He needs to be out there in the field with everybody else and show them that this is what leadership is about, that it doesn't matter what age you are, you get out and fight. This is what kings do. This is what men do. And I can still take a giant. And he goes out to fight, and here comes Ish by Benimbab. We'll just call him Ish. He comes out, 
And the Bible says that he thought he would have killed David. David got tired. And at that moment when he got tired, it was God saying, I'm giving David permission to step back so that other people that have watched him that have been inspired by Him, that have picked up His Spirit, can step up on the scene and say, I got this. The Bible says, Ish wanted to kill David. But here comes another man named Abishai. And he changed the direction of the giant from David and he turns it on himself. And he says, you don't want to kill him. You don't want to mess with him. Why don't you try to mess with a real man like me over here? The Bible says he secured, he secured him. He, he, he got him to change his mind. And when he changed his direction away from the king, ha, that was the end of that giant. And he got to kill him. And there was something about that moment that there was this corporate comprehension that David now went to another level. He didn't diminish. He went to another level. He stepped into a different place of oversight where he was there saying, now you can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this. Because now they had been empowered. They now had permission. He says, I'm releasing you. If he could kill a giant, then any one of you could kill a giant. And what I'm telling you is this church has gone through phases. You've seen, you've seen this man of God. There have been so many times when we've worked together through the years and we've seen all kinds of miracles. Sister Robinson, you can remember back in those early days when, when I would get up on the first night of the revival. We used to do two weeks revival. Some, some years. And sometimes we would start on Tuesday night. I remember one time I got up and said, God's going to raise the dead in this revival. And after the service, Sister Robertson looked at me and she said, do you know what you said to you said God was going to raise the dead in this, in this revival. I said, I did. She said, you did. You said it. She said, you prophesied a lot of other things. She said, but you said that, you were, that that was going to happen. And you know what? In the second week of the revival, there was a man that died on the table. While we were praying, God resurrected that man up off of that table. <laughs> happened. Happened. In this church. He came in the next night and talked about it. But you see, this was because this man preached this kind of thing to you. He taught this kind of thing to you. He told you that you could pray those kind of prayers. He told you that you could function this way. And he was bold enough to step out and tackle issues that nobody else would tackle. Preach things that nobody else would preach. Take out giants that everybody else was running away from. Thank God for an apostle that God sent to be here in this area. Thank God for a man of God. That was not afraid of everything else that told him he couldn't do it. And I've been inspired by him. I've, I've watched him lay hands on people so many times and get the Holy Ghost. And he just said, he said, that's it. You preach and I'll just pray him through. I said, that's a good combination. I watched I watched him do it so many times, and, and it was just, it, w it was awesome for me to watch. And, and it, it allowed, every time I would come here, it, the ceiling was, was set so high, it would allow me to function and operate here in ways that I couldn't function and operate in other places. And see, Jimmy Russell taught me this a long time ago. He said the kings and the prophets had to work together. The kings had the authority. The prophets had the vision. But if the kings did not release the vision of the prophet, then the prophet's word was, was imprisoned along with the prophet. He said, but if they would accept the prophet's word, then, the, then but because of the word of the king, then the entire kingdom would be affected and it would, it would be blessed and it would be helped. He said, every pastor that you preach for, there is a king. You're coming there with the word but if they don't lift that ceiling and embrace the word that you come it doesn't matter what you preach you're not going to be able to operate or to function and so when I would come here this man of God would say it's alright talk about it do it step out in it and he would always stretch me and push me and move us forward and as a result through the years we've seen all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders that have happened and this church has had a history of miracles and signs and wonders people that have been changed and transformed and deliver. 
You're here tonight because there was something that happened to you in the Holy Ghost. You wouldn't be here tonight if it was just for the singing, even though it's wonderful. You're not here just for a show. You're here because the power of God is in this place. How many have been changed by the power of God? How many know what I'm talking about? Anybody have a testimony? Thank God for a man of God. Thank God for a pastor. Thank God for a bishop. Thank God for somebody. Thank God for a couple, for brother and sister Robertson that worked together tirelessly to make this possible. To shoo it out in the spirit. And there's something that's changed. You've been through, you've been through some stuff. You've been through some things. But there's something that's been revitalized in you. God showed it to me. He's refocused your mind. He's refocused your vision. He is, he's solidified something in him. He was talking to me about his, the, the faith level that has come into his life just recently. And it, it's, it really is amazing. But there's a new generation of people that are coming up. There's all kinds of people that have gone out from you that, you've, that God has used you to send out. And some went even when they weren't quite ready to go, you know. But and that's all right. We still, we, still, we still survived it all. We still went through it all. But God said there is a new generation. This is what God spoke to me this week. He said there is a new generation of people that are coming up. But this man is now in a different season. His season is not to demonstrate. His season is to oversee and impart. And what has been demonstrated and modeled for all of these years is now, get, is now in the atmosphere. It's now in the foundation. It's now who you are. You just needed permission to say, I can do that. You just needed permission to believe that you could step into that dimension. That it wasn't the exception, but it would become the rule. Stop just for a minute right now. Lift your hands to the Lord. And say, God is giving me permission. Young men like this are not going to have to battle the same battles. Hallelujah. Because he was raised with can do. He's being raised in an atmosphere where anything's possible. Hallelujah. And a generation is being raised up that says, of course we can kill a giant. Of course we can destroy our adversaries. Of course, every demonic spirit that stands in our way is going to be defeated. And you know what's happening? There's impartation that's coming in the spirit. Hallelujah. Samuel, you can do it, buddy. Hallelujah. <laughs> You're not living in shadows of anybody. You're living in the light. The light of the Holy Spirit. This generation is raised in the light. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to put our hand on their back and push them forward and say, Oh, yes, you can. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that Goliath was a man of war from his youth. Philistines don't think it's anything, anything unique about fighting when you're a child. He was a man of war from his youth. It was okay. 
for Goliath, but it somehow was not okay for David. And for a long time, this is how it's been. The, the world says, we've got a place for you. The world starts working on you from when you first, I mean, I mean, they've got Teletubbies now. I mean, for babies, for heaven's sakes. When Juliana was two and a half, we would walk through the toy aisle and there was all kinds of things there that were popping out and looking at her. No, no, you're not going to get that one. No, you're not. No, you're definitely not buying that because that does not look like I want you to look like. Okay, let's go to the next. I mean, half of them are already sending you this message. Be like this. Look like this. Be nasty like this. Do, I'm like, she's two and they're already working on her like this. I remember when we had to talk about Hannah Montana. Remember that? Hannah Montana. She, everywhere we looked, there was Hannah Montana, Hannah Montana, Hannah Montana. And we started talking about Hannah Montana might be a nice girl, but she doesn't have Jesus in her heart. So we're not buying Hannah Montana. It's not coming into this house. And one day, one day we were, and folks, if you got Hannah Montana, that's between you and Jesus. Okay, this is what we were dealing with at three. This is three. Okay, where it's not eight. This is not ten. This is three. We don't want Hannah Montana at three. We certainly don't want Hannah Montana now, I can tell you that. You can see what happened with Hannah Montana. Everybody's changing their minds now. Could have told you. Anyway, one day, one day we were disciplining... Uh, Juliana, we said, what has gotten into you? She said, I don't know. I think I must have Hannah Montana in my heart. (laughs) Poor thing. God bless her. Now she's got Jesus in her heart. She's got the Holy Ghost talking in tongues, baptized in Jesus' name. Got it when she was five years old. Just at a campground a couple of weeks ago, prayed somebody else through. She said, Daddy, I laid my hands on them just like you lay your hands on them. And they got the Holy Ghost, Daddy. And I thought, that's the way it's supposed to be. I want her to believe she can do it. I want her to believe she can lay hands on the sick. I know she's just five years old, six years old, but praise God. Hey, this is a generation that's going to be raised up with it. They're going to be raised up believing they can do it. I don't want our heroes to be Hannah Montana. I want it to be Esther. I want it to be, I want it to be Peter, James, and John. I want it to be Miriam and Mary. Is there anybody in this house believe that this is a generation that can make a difference if we'll give them permission to do it? You see, God doesn't allow impartation until the man that is releasing the impartation has come to a place of high spiritual maturity. It was way into Moses' leadership that God took from Moses' spirit and put it on the 70. Elijah put his spirit on Elisha right at the end because he was about to pass into into eternity. The patriarchs would give the blessing at the end of their life because they, 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 they had become refined by the years. And so they were imparting something to the next generation so that the next generation would begin where they left off. And so in the, in the book of Acts, we see impartation comes. At critical points, you realize that Paul did not even get commissioned until 13 years after he had seen Jesus. And it was much later before he had even laid hands on Timothy and prophesied over Timothy. But it was because he started feeling this great need. I need somebody that I can go and send to these churches that I raised up but I can't find anybody that has the same mindset that I do and God said you're going to have to impart it you're going to have to lay hands on you're going to have to pray for somebody and so this is what God is doing right now he's ready to take this bishop this man of God and release his spirit upon some brand new people that are coming up and you're going to see the refinement of years of walking with God where we will see step into that current knowledge, that current dimension of faith, that current 
that current authority that you have. And the reason why you spoke faith tonight is because God knew what I was going to be preaching tonight. And He wanted to release faith in this house house at the foundation of this service so that you could step into this realm. Oh, God. If you want it, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Lift your hands to the Lord. And say, I'm ready for an impartation. My Lord. Mm. The battleground is changing to a training ground. (laughs) What we used to fight over, we are now in league with. We've now submitted to and bought into and accepted. And so now we're training. We're training. We're developing. We're raising up a generation of giant killers. There's people that I mentioned in this chapter that you probably don't have a clue who they are. I could barely even pronounce their names. That's how unknown they were. But they killed giants just as big as Goliath. They came from the same source. The Bible says there were four more sons (laughs) that were born that came of the giant of Gath. And they all had their special weapons and some of them had extra fingers and toes and creepy things like that. But it didn't matter. I mean, there were servants that were taking them out. And David's, one of David's brothers, who we'd never heard of his entire life, says, you know what, David, would you mind? I'd like to kill this one. You know that there is a forward-thinking generation that's full of faith when people are fighting over who gets to kill the next giant it's not can we kill it it's that giant is going down and just who's going to be the one that god's going to use to kill it it's not if we're going to win the victory it's who is god going to use to help us with this It's not whether this person's going to get healed. It's who's God going to use to pray for this one. It's not whether someone's going to get the Holy Ghost. It's who's going to lay the hands on that one when they get the Holy Ghost. Who gets to teach this one a Bible study? Who gets to start the next church? Who gets to be the next person we send out to go to Poland or Czechoslovakia or or who knows what country that God has chosen? Hey folks, I believe that this is a time when all of the things that have diminished us are now taken away and now everything that God has placed in us to be used, you now are going to be able to function and operate in this. If you want this, I want you to come and stand right now. Sister Robertson, I really feel led to have you come up here. If you would, I know you're a private person, but if you would just let the power that is in you be visible just for a moment. Don't you love this woman of God right here? This is an amazing, great woman of God right here. I want you to come and stand with me. She doesn't get near enough uh, credit in my, in my book anyway for how awesome that she is. I'd like them to come and stand here together. If you come and stand up to the front here. Praise God. Amen. Come and stand together. Praise God. Thank you, God. 
We're going we're gonna to pray two ways tonight, okay? Not one way, but two ways. The first prayer we're going to pray tonight is a prayer of blessing and a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer for sustained strength and energy and that God will give them permission to go to the next level and that this church will, will be able to have the maturity for this to happen, that we can, we can fill in the spots and fill in the gaps and we'll do it. How many, how many feel this and sense this in the Holy Ghost? Can we do that? I want you to stretch your hands to them right now. And I'd like you to just pray for your bishop and his wife right now. Now, Bishop, I'd like you to just pray a prayer of release and impartation right now over these people. Would you do it? Everyone would just raise their hands with me. God, right now, you know the desire of my heart. You know, Jesus, the direction you have been leading me in for the last four or five years. And I pray right now that each and every one, each and every one that is in the sound of my voice can be released in their hearts. Let them feel, Jesus, your presence and your power as you begin to release them, Lord. And now, God, I speak. As I spoke earlier, releasing faith, God, I impart now in them the desire, the hunger, and the Spirit of God to be able to fill that place, Jesus, in their role in the coming revival, Jesus, that is going to continue until, Lord, you split the eastern sky. I'm believing it now and know you hombati shingondroba. Ilindio hore shaye and dobola. God, let them receive that which is coming down. Let them receive that now which is being stirred up within each and every heart in that wonderful name of Jesus. If you feel it right now, I want you to give Him praise. If you feel it now, if you feel a release in the Holy Ghost, an impartation of power, Give Him praise. Act like you know that God has done it. Act like you know that you've received the visitation. Let's clap everybody. Clap now to the Lord. Hallelujah. majority of the battle the majority of the battle 
is in us accepting a change in our hearts and believing that we can and believing that God can use us and allowing God to turn that negative channel off in our head. We buried those bones yesterday. We don't hear that anymore. We don't listen to that anymore. There's no more condemnation. There's no more question. There's no more fear. Now it's a matter of God honing our abilities and giving us fresh revelation. You received an impartation tonight from the Lord. In every impartation is the seed of the fruit. Now you've got to cultivate that seed and you've got to let that fruit be manifest in your life. I want you to lift your hands up one more time and I'm going to pray for you. Father, now I'm asking you in Jesus' name that this seed of ministry, of faith, of wisdom, of hearing your voice, of walking with you, God, this impartation of evangelism and of apostolic order, God, this this flow of, of, of compassion that releases the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits. Let it, O oh God, continue to grow in Jesus' name. Watch over it and protect it right now in Jesus' name. The gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, the gift of prophecy in Jesus' name. But raise up the gift of helps too. Raise up, oh God, leaders. Raise up those that would work. Raise up those that would witness. Raise up, oh God, pillars in the house of God. Givers in the house of God. People that will care for the business of the church. The details, oh God. I want you to ask God to open up your understanding of what your next step is. What your next step is. I want us to pray for what is our next step. Let's pray right now. Father, I'm praying in Jesus' name that you would show us what our next thing is that we need to do. What is our next step? What is the next part of our preparation? What is the next part, oh God, of our obedience? What is the next thing that we need to do to be used of God? God's not quite finished yet. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. Let's wait upon Him just for a moment. We love You, Jesus. We worship You, Jesus.
such desire, but you have never been able to release that which has held you back. And now, tonight, your heart is pure. Your hands are clean. You have lifted them up in purity. You have showed me your desire, and it has been righteous. You love me. You have shown that to me tonight. I have tried to pick you up and now you have allowed me to do so. Even the remainder of these services, you are going to see a difference in how you can talk to me. You are going to hear me like you have never heard me before. You are going to listen, and I am going to speak. And you are going to go places and heights that you never thought you could attain because you have released my hands this night. Receive it before the Lord right now. Accept this word from God. 